This is an egg. I know, I just blew your mind. It's an egg. It's <laughs> radical. Uh, but this egg is going to turn into, guess what? A chicken. Good. Smart people. Wonderful. Okay. So this egg is going to turn into a chicken. This is also an egg. Do you know what this is going to turn into? This is going to turn into a turtle. Now, really, on the outside, when you're looking at it, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I can't believe I did that. (laughs) You know, sometimes you're talking and you see something coming and you go, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) I did. That's it. You're dismissed. I can't go. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm like tearing up. I make myself laugh so much I cry. It's embarrassing. What's wrong with this man? Okay, so what's different about the two? Why does one turn into a chicken and one turn into a turtle? I'm still crying. Why? Now, I mean, yes, we could say, well, one was laid by a chicken and one was laid by a turtle, but still, they're both eggs. Do you know what makes the difference? It's this right here. DNA. So guardrails are the these external things that, that hopefully... You know, if we bump up against them, they kind of push us in the right direction. DNA shapes us from the inside out. It says if this is your wiring, your coding, if this is the way that God has made you, this is what you're going to become. The chicken egg cannot become a turtle. doesn't matter how much it tries. The turtle egg cannot become a chicken. It's going to be a turtle because it has turtle DNA. So as believers, as Christians, as a church, as people, we should ask ourselves, what's our spiritual DNA? Because it's easy for us to take out, I believe, the way God has coded us and put our own ideas in there, and we get off track. So we're going to be talking about these core values, and I want you to think of them in terms of this this DNA that keeps us on track, that makes us what God has saved us to be. Let's start with our mission statement. We looked at this last week. And you're going to see this later on. We've got some people joining the church as members, and we, we make a commitment together as members. Yes, we're going to carry out this, mem- this mission. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the, trans- through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. That's kind of our overarching understanding of what does it mean to be a church. Different churches say it different way. That's fine. But at the heart and soul of this is that what defines us, our DNA, what makes us us as Christians, is the DNA of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. So there's other things we can put on top of that and around that to say we, we express that in, in this style of music or this kind of preaching or the pastor makes this way of bad jokes or something. But, but ultimately at the heart and soul of it is this DNA of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we have to be careful of, and I would say diligently fight against, is replacing that DNA with something else. So as we think about our own lives, and ultimately then in a couple weeks as we think about elders, are we approving leaders that are going to keep the DNA of the gospel at the heart and soul of who we are? Are we waking up every day saying, I am saved by Jesus Christ. This is what defines me. That's my DNA. So these are our core values then. We looked at the green ones last week. We said as, as somebody came to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? And he gave two answers. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And we looked at our core values that have to do with that. Passionately God-centered, dependent on God, rooted in the word of God, believing in grace-driven transformation, becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, 
and authentic and passionate worship. So we looked at those last week. If you want to listen to that, it's online. Uh, you can hear the sermon there. This week, we're going to look at the second part of his answer, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. So how do we truly love others? And we've said that as a church, some things that are important to us are to be to be committed to one another, to be actively serving, and to engage in intentional outreach. Now, again, if you're here and you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, there's just the church talking about church stuff, I want you to know that this should shape us as people. We should ask ourselves, why am I in relationships with other people? How do I interact with my neighbors, my coworkers, my spouse, my family? How do I interact? What's my goal? What's my purpose in those interactions? And I think you'll see that these three core values spill over a lot into all of our relationships, not just us as a church. Plus, I would say, if we can't do these things in the rest of our relationships, we're going to have a really hard time showing up and putting on our Christian face and acting them out on Sunday morning. We're going to be fake. We're going to be a bunch of frauds. So how do we build this DNA into our day-to-day lives, not just Sunday morning? We're going to look at these three core values through three comparisons. Being a customer or being committed, being a spectator or being a servant, and being a puddle or being a pipe. Let's start with the difference between a customer or committed. I want to give you an illustration. We recently purchased a home, and and a big part of home ownership is uh, going to the hardware store. That's a really vital part of home ownership, it turns out. Almost a daily ritual. So I like Home Depot, okay? I just like it there. I'm I'm familiar with it. I like their products. So so let's say I'm a regular customer. I am, really, a regular customer. (laughs) I should get one of their little key tags or something to get the discounts, but I don't. Uh, let's say one day I decide I'm not really getting what I want out of Home Depot. I just, I don't, I'm going and I don't like the products they're offering anymore. I don't like their prices. I'm just not satisfied with my relationship with Home Depot. So I'm going to shop around a little bit. So I go on the internet and I start comparing different sites and the different products that they offer and, and, and I'm looking at this one versus this one and, and I decide, okay, I found some, so I'm going to go check out those stores. So I go to the stores and I shop there. Do I like the way it's laid out? Do I like their customer service? Do I like their prices? I'll buy a little bit from here and a little bit from there. and Compare all of them. And then I'll say, okay, I've decided I found a new store, my new hardware store. I'm going to go to Lowe's, for instance. I'm not paid for these endorsements at all. Uh, but they could if they want to. So let's say I've decided I'm going to go to Lowe's. Now, if I'm talking to you and I've just laid out that process for you, what would you think about me as a hardware shopper? I would hope, I would think, you would think, wow, you're, you're pretty smart. Like, that's, that's discerning. You, you were wise in the process. You really looked at all the alternatives. You weighed the pros and the cons. You made a good, informed consumer decision. Okay? Let's try a different example. This one's going to hurt a little bit. Okay, and I should have asked my wife permission for this, but just follow me here for a second. This is all hypothetical, so stick with me. Okay? Well, this part's not. My wife and I will celebrate 18 years of marriage this, this, not this week, this year. Yeah. I think that applause was for you, mostly. For... <laughs> Way to gang in there. Um, what if... Okay, now here's where we get into the hypothetical, okay? What if I decide out of this relationship, I'm not getting what I want? Okay? 
And I decide I'm, I'm going to do some research. So I'm going to go on the Internet. I'm going to look at some other women. I'm going to look at pictures that make me feel the way I want to feel. I'm going to try out different things. And, and so I, I do my research, right? And then let's say beyond that, I decide, well, now I want, I want more practical experience. So I'm going to start visiting different women. I'm going to have experiences with different women. And eventually I find one that I like and, and I decide I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to go and be with this woman and I'm going to live with her and start a new family there. What would you say about me? Would you come to me and say, Dave, you're such a discerning shopping, shopper. What a wise and discerning husband that you went through this very methodical uh, relationship and, and expedition to find the right woman for you because you know you just weren't happy, so that was good. I would hope that you would sit me down, not so gently, Maybe even slap me across the face and say, how dare you? Who in the world do you think you are? I would hope that you would consider me an awful, horrible husband and an awful, horrible human being. Because that would be utterly wrong. Now, that probably made you a little uncomfortable. It does me talking to you, and it probably did my wife as well. But I want that, because let me ask you, what's the difference On the surface, aren't they both the same thing? Aren't you just comparing one against the other? Aren't you just going out and looking for what you want and trying to get what you want? And let's take it a little further. Isn't that exactly how most people are pursuing relationships today? Why are marriages breaking apart? Because we don't understand the difference between these two things right here. We're looking at our relationships with our spouses. We're looking at our relationship with our friends. And, and this is where we get to us today, we're looking at our relationships within the church as customers. If I'm not getting what I want, if I'm not getting my needs met and I'm not being fulfilled, I'm not being kept happy, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to try a different person. I'm going to just unplug. I don't like the way people are treating me. You see, there's a huge difference between these two. At Home Depot, I am a customer. I am there to get my needs met. That's okay. That's how I should view that relationship. I don't owe them anything. I'm not committed to them at all. But to my wife, I am not a customer of my wife. I am to be committed to her. I made a vow that committed me to her above and beyond being a customer I'm driven by the relationship and willing to sacrifice my personal needs and wants for the sake of that relationship. So let's ask the hard question here. Which one are we to be with the church? Are we customers to our church or are we committed? And I would say as we study scripture, we see that we are to be committed. This is one of our core values as a church. We are committed to one another. We are committed to the local church because it is the principal place where God is working out his purpose in the world and in people's lives. We believe that active participation in the church advances God's purpose and is essential for the spiritual growth of individual followers of Christ. We are committed to demonstrating Christ's love and grace to the world by the way we treat each other. We will encourage, love, build up, disciple, forgive, and admonish one another. We will pray for and with one another, honor each other, be patient with one another, and rejoice together. Now look, is there ever a time you need to leave a church? Sure there is wise, godly, discerning decisions to say this church is maybe not going in the right direction. I need to make a decision. Some of you are here today because you've had to make decisions, maybe even recently, to leave a difficult situation. I get that. 
I also get that at some level I'm sort of preaching to the choir here because you're here. You didn't just check out and not go to church whatsoever. God sent his son because he is committed to us. And then he joined together this thing, the followers of Christ, called the church. In Ephesians 4.16, the Apostle Paul writes this. Look at how he describes the church. From him, speaking of Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament as it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's say you're a Home Depot shopper. You like going there, I like going there, we see each other there, hey, what's up? And I decide I'm not going to go there anymore. Does it really affect you? Does it really impact your Home Depot relationship? You might miss me, I mean, let's be honest. But (laughs) it's not going to really... You're going to get the same price, you're going to get the same products, and really the biggest difference is maybe the lines are just that much shorter because I'm not there, right? No big deal. Look at the way Paul's described the church here. Would you say it's the same thing? If you went into my knee and ripped out one of these ligaments, I think there's ligaments in there. I I think that's accurate. Do you think I'd notice? Yeah. Do you think my, my leg would work the way it's supposed to? No. There'd be uh, uh, something missing. There'd be pain. That's the way it is in the church. God has designed the church to work together, to live together, to have these relationships where we depend upon one another, life on life being committed to one another. Is that always easy? (laughs) No. Is it messy? Absolutely. Because committed relationships are hard. Customer relationships are easy. You don't like it, go somewhere else. But committed relationships don't work that way. Look at what Jesus prayed. Ron talked about Jesus' prayers. This comes out of one of them. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Jesus has prayed for himself as he's about to go to the cross. He's prayed for his disciples. And now he switches gears. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. But he says, I also pray, or I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been saved by him, he is looking down the scope of history as only the Son of God can do, and he sees you and he's praying for you. And he's praying for me. Let's look at what he prays about. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see that last phrase there, so that the world may believe that you have sent me? Scripture is teaching, right here and in many other places, the way we relate to one another as Christians in our local church, the way we relate to Christians at other churches, those relationships are a demonstration to the world that the gospel is true. Boy, that changes things, doesn't it? Let's turn that around then. If we don't live in unity with one another... If we don't live in unity with other Christians and seek to have fellowship with them instead of just going, oh, you're weird, you're not part of our church. If we don't have that unity in our relationships and have that commitment to one another, what does it tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ? It tells them it's not true. And do you know why a lot of people are are struggling with the gospel today? Do you know why a lot of people say, well, I can't believe in Jesus? Do you know why? Because they say, because I look at the church. And what do they see? And this is why as a church we have said to that idea and that fragmentation and this consumer mentality, we have said no, that will not be us. 
And so as we appoint leaders in a couple weeks, you need to ask yourselves, are these guys going to lead us to be committed or are they going to lead us to be consumers? How do they see their own relationship with Christ? And I'll tell you, based on my knowledge of these guys, and I know them pretty well, these are committed men. They love Jesus with all their heart. They love the church with all their heart. And they love this church, these people, you people, with all their heart. Another way to look at this is, are we a spectator or a servant? I think this afternoon there's going to be some football games on. Is that fair to say? I think it's, normally I'd be really up on this, but we're having issues with our TV connection at our house. I probably need to go to Home Depot. Uh <laughs> or Lowe's, whatever. So I don't really know, but I think we're in the playoffs and I don't know who's playing. But, you know, if you're a big football fan and you radically cheer for your team this afternoon, uh, which is great, and I hope you do, and I hope you enjoy it, but I'm guessing the next day you're not going to wake up sore from all those hits out on the field. I'm, I'm guessing you're not. I'm guessing if your team loses, nobody's calling you into their office saying, hey, you know, you didn't perform yesterday. Uh, we're, we're kicking you off the team. I'm guessing that's not going to happen. I'm also guessing you're not going to take a whole lot of responsibility for what happens with your team. I don't think you're going to go into the office or or wake up tomorrow and just be like, man, my team lost. I didn't wear my hat facing the right way. I didn't have my blanket. I, you know, I just didn't do it. It was all my fault. My team, maybe you do. And if you do, you need to seek some help. But, uh, (laughs) because the truth is, What you do in your living room or your family room as you watch the game this afternoon really is going to have no bearing on that game whatsoever. But I would bet that what you will do is get up tomorrow and say, man, that coach blew it. Man, those refs, they were, that was horrible. That kicker, I can't believe he met, was it wide right? Is that the, the Buffalo, oh, I'm sorry, too soon? It's, (laughs) how many years ago was that? (laughs) Two minutes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, right, gotcha. Uh, You're going to blame somebody because you're a spectator. Spectators get to blame everybody but themselves. Servants don't get to do that. A servant sees a need and gets involved, seeks to meet that need. A servant becomes personally involved. The The pain or the difficulty of the person they're serving becomes their pain and their difficulty. It hurts to serve other people. But the joys of the people you're serving also become your joy because you're involved in it. A servant uses their own gifts, their own abilities, along with others to accomplish a mission. They are personally invested. As a church, one of our core values is actively serving. We are committed to discover and put to use our unique God-given gifts and ability. With kind and humble hearts, we will serve the Lord and one another with God's grace with the, uh, and the strength he alone provides. We will encourage one another to serve enthusiastically and be hospitable. In that same passage we looked at earlier in Ephesians, Paul writes this. He talks about uh, kind of some different ways of leading the church. But he says, he who gave, it was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Would you say, based on that passage, that Paul's understanding of our involvement in our church is one of a spectator? Or a servant? I would say a servant. Because he says it's the leader's job 
not to be the spectacle for everybody to watch and to judge and to say, yeah, I like that or I didn't like that or I can't believe he made that joke or I can't believe he talked about that. No, he says it's the leadership job not to be a spectacle but to train servants so that then it's all of our jobs to be involved and to serve. There's this two-way commitment there. And so we need to ask ourselves in the church, but I would say in our lives even, are we going to be spectators or are we going to be servants? And as we look at this group of elders, are they going to lead us to be spectators or servants? How have they served in their own lives? Are these guys that have sat on the sidelines and just begrudgingly said, oh, I can't believe people are doing that and they're just awful, or have they jumped in, gotten involved, and served? And I'll tell you flat out, I know they've served because we would have never have looked at them for elders if they hadn't. That was a prerequisite for considering somebody for the process in the first place. We had to have seen them serve and serve well. Let's look at another comparison. Are we a puddle or a pipe? Think about a puddle for a second. If you have any trouble picturing one, there's a whole bunch right now out in the parking lot. So as you go outside, you'll see them. Uh, we've carefully placed them and designed each puddle to make sure there's no place that you can step without getting wet. It's been very intentional. No, that's not the way puddles form, is it? Puddles are accidents. It's because the pavement has, has sunk down in one place and risen up in another. It's because a truck kept driving over it in a particular place or in, where the places where the cars have parked, they're, they're, you know, the ruts of the tires have sunk down a little bit and water collects. Puddles happen in many ways on accident. They're just a, a collection of random circumstances. And the water goes, oh, which way will I go? I don't know, I'll go this way. And it goes into the puddle. And you get a puddle. The puddle doesn't help anybody. Nobody says, whoo, great, I've got a puddle here. This is wonderful. They say, oh, man, this puddle. How do we fix the pavement? We're looking at this all the time as a church. How do we fix the pavement to get rid of the puddle? It's a lot harder than you would think. You know, churches become puddles when we base what we do on tradition when we base what we do on just a, a collection of circumstances, well, we don't like what's going on out there in the world, but if we can gather together and give ourselves the warm fuzzies all over, then this will be great. And we become a puddle. We just sort of gather together and go, oh, I just like being there. And then we're stuck. Churches become a puddle when it becomes our church rather than the place where we minister and we serve and we worship. Pipes on the other hand, are outward focused. Both collect water. Both a puddle and a pipe will collect and hold water. But pipes do it for a purpose, to take the water from someplace to someplace else where it is needed. They actually deliver the water. They're driven by mission, and they carry to a place of need. As a church, we believe in intentional outreach, which means, one, we're intentional that we want to do outreach. We want to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it was neat the other day I had a meeting. Uh, and this is actually good to talk to you about. I had a meeting with some people that are, what they do is they hook up relationships between nonprofits, churches, and things like that with a local school. So we've got a charter school. I think it's called the Renaissance Academy just down the street. And basically, they're looking for volunteers from our church to go in there and to do tutoring and reading and things like that. And, and I talked with them, and I said, that's great. I said, but you need to know something. 
and I'll tell you flat out, this is what I told them, because I, I wanted them to walk out if they weren't okay with this. I said, we exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ. I said, that's who we are. That's what we do. I just want you to know that up front, that if our people are going into that school, we'll respect what they say, but we are going as Christians in the hope that we'll be able to share Jesus Christ with somebody. If you're not okay with that, this relationship cannot work. And you know what they said? They're like, okay. I just wanted them to know up front because we will be intentional in those relationships. We are going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are committed to the Great Commission. We will proclaim the gospel and its life-changing impact to one another through our preaching, our teaching, our worship, our relationships. We will boldly and lovingly live out this truth in our homes and in our communities and in the world. That's powerful. We have to not only be intentional about the fact that we're saying it's important, but then intentional as we do it. As you get to know your neighbors, your, as you interact with your family members, to be prayerfully considering, how can I demonstrate the love of Christ to them, and how can I share the love of Christ with them? At your places of work, in our church, in our community, how do we be intentional about sharing the love of Christ with others? Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission. Jesus uh, is about to ascend up into heaven. He's already died on the cross. He's already risen from the grave. He spent some time teaching his disciples, and he's about to leave them, and he's really shaping the church and giving marching orders. And he says this. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Excuse me. What I see here is a pipe and a purpose. The pipe, the the container, the thing that draws us together is the presence of Jesus Christ. Christ says, I have all authority. He's the Son of God. He has all authority over all things. The one who has died in our place, risen from the grave, reigns eternally and will return. He says, I have all authority. And he says, I'm with you. There's the pipe. That's what shapes us. And then he says, here's your mission. Therefore, go. Make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. In order to be a disciple, you first need to learn that there is a Savior You need to have the gospel shared with you so you can accept it. And then you need to have somebody come alongside you and say, let me help you to grow in your faith. All of that is part of our mission. It's part of being a pipe instead of a puddle. Intentional outreach means seeing our lives, our day-to-day moments as being on a mission. We are sent into this world. Wherever you go in your day-to-day life, you are there to be a representative of Jesus Christ. That's a high calling. In a moment, you'll hear as we welcome some people into membership, you'll hear the language of to live as a missionary in every situation in your life. That's built into our membership covenant because we want to be intentional about that. So again, as we appoint elders, ask yourself, are these men going to lead us to just be a little holy huddle, a little holy puddle that just gathers together and does nothing except get people's feet wet when they don't want to step in it? Are we going to get together and say, let's go. We're on mission with Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear the gospel. So we have a choice to make. Are we here? And I don't mean just here in this room. I mean here on this earth, in this life, in this moment. Are we here for ourselves? Or are we here for God? 
And then if we are here for God, as those other core values talk about, then we say we're here to love others. There's our mission. We want to be committed to loving one another. We want to be committed to actively serving and intentional outreach. And so here we have all the core values of our church. And again, these are not perfect words. They're not perfect phrases. This is just what helps us. But I think, as people here today, if we could take each of these things and build them into our lives in 2016, I think we'll find we're staying on track with Jesus Christ. I think we'll find it puts us in a position to be used by God to do amazing things for his kingdom. I think we'll find it shapes us when we gather together to be a growing, vibrant, healthy church that makes disciples. And I think, I know, we need to prayerfully consider as we appoint any leader, are we appointing people that are going to do these things, that have this as their heart and soul, and they're going to lead us accordingly. This is to be our DNA our guardrails. And so as you prayerfully consider the approval of these three men for eldership, and I invite you to do so, I want you to ask that question. God, are these men doing this in their own life so that then they can lead us to follow you as well? Not whether or not you like them, not whether or not they've been successful in business, or they're powerful, or they're wealthy, or they're my buddy and they're going to do what I say. That's not, that has nothing to do with any of this. Are they spiritually mature believers in Jesus Christ who can shepherd us as a church according to these things that we've identified from Scripture are important? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I know people come with different struggles. And God, it's, it's hard to be up here and to preach and, and to try to hit and, and impact and interact with what everybody's going through. And yet I do believe these nine things, while there are core values as a church, I, I believe they're more than that. I believe they represent hope and guidance for each one of us along the way. of Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the meaning and the purpose behind my life? And God, I pray if there's anyone here struggling with that, may they start with the gospel. That they can be saved by Jesus Christ. That they can have new life through Christ in this right relationship with you. And then through that, that they can find meaning and purpose along the way as as they realize that you can work through us, messed up as we are. You do amazing things for your glory and through the power, the transforming power of your gospel. God, I pray in a couple weeks as we elect our first group of elders, I pray your guidance and leading on each person here, each person that will be checking a box in those ballots to say yes or no to each of these candidates. I pray, Father, that those checks would represent the prayerful dependence upon you and the belief that this is your will, not ours, so that you would guide us to keep this at the DNA of our church, to keep these guardrails in place, that you would bless us with spiritual shepherds to guide us in that direction. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.